On this week's episode, we talk about Netflix beginning tests of its cloud gaming service, what Starfield sales might mean for day one Game Pass launches, the insane PC requirements for Alan Wake 2, whether the Spider-Man 2 bugs and glitches actually matter, the PS5 Slim's new hardware-based DRM, and more. All that tonight, but first, on to that beautiful Bean intro. This is the place where PC gaming and console gaming talk combine. The Orange Box Podcast, Episode 3. I am your host, the man whose first portable PC weighed in an an extremely portable 42 pounds, Nathan, also known as the Frozen Gamer 87. And joining me is the man whose first portable PC was a Nintendo 3DS, my (laughs) co-host, Justin, better known as I am Zarek. How are you doing today, Justin? I am doing very well, sir. Very well. I, it's it's been it's been an interesting week, but you know it's overall pretty good though. Like, h- how are you feeling today? <laughs> it's been uh, busy, very busy. Oh wow! And um, it's only going to get busier. This this the next several days are just packed full of stuff. So, but that's all right because. Well, I'll get to that. I'll get to my stuff once once we uh, cover your stuff. So, what stuff have you been playing this week? Oh man, well, it's been, it's been a lot actually. Uh, definitely more than the week before. Uh, so, I've been still going with Sekiro, um, and you know, I I for some reason it feels like every time we do these podcasts, uh, I'm stuck at a particular boss or mini boss and then after i talk about it the following week i've already beaten it and the boss i was stuck at before i got through that boss and now i'm on another boss where actually this one seems to be a little bit easier i i've only done one attempt and i died but um i seem to have a a, a better understanding on how this mini boss works so hopefully next week i'll have made more progress but other games that i've played have been uh, Vampire Survivors, which is sort of a, uh, I guess, sort of reverse bullet hell type of game, but at least with, for the original uh, game, it was based heavily on Castlevania sprites and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But a new update came out uh, recently, and so I've been playing through that. And sort of tying into that, I also played Choo Choo Survivors, which was a uh, Vampire Survivors clone. And it's not at, it's it's not as good as Vampire Survivors, but because it is sort of unique because you are a train <laughs> flying zombies instead of vampires and other creatures, it's it's decent enough. Um, but then also actually, yesterday I was meeting with an old coworker slash friend, and we were playing some games together. Um, we actually played Vampire Survivors Co-op, which was the first time I'd ever even known that there was well first time i even tried the co-op and uh he had overcooked too and i played that that was actually kind of interesting and then we uh oh my gosh i can't remember i think it was uh pathfinder we played that t- together and that was that was pretty interesting so 
definitely more games this week than the previous week before. All right. Well, yeah, that's that's always good to have have a, a greater variety of stuff that you get a chance to play. Um, yeah, mine mine has been kind of mixed on the on the number. I it's like somewhere in between previous weeks, um, but uh, one of the main things. Well, I, I guess I should kind of let me back up a little bit. So, of course, um, I have coming up. This Friday, I'm doing my uh, second 24-hour live stream uh, for st the Stack Up charity, and so I've been just kind of trying to knock out some stuff, but also just getting prepared, figuring out what I actually am going to want to play during that stream. And so, um, one of the things that I, I did remember to record some footage for this time is the is Outer Wilds. And, um, you know, basically I'm still just trying to complete that same one achievement because I just, I, I have a hard time dealing with, you know, being one achievement shy of having a complete set of achievements. So, you know, I, I gave, gave that another go and of course there'll be some footage here. I'll, I'll have to mess with that a little bit because the footage that's playing initially is like the beginning of getting to that place and rather than covering the main uh, part of it but I definitely want to make sure that I show like the frustration of frustrations that comes with <laughs> with trying to get on that raft just right and making sure that I actually like properly get going with it um, but additionally of course I've been continuing to play Red Dead Redemption 2 I played probably more of that on my desktop than I did on my Steam Deck, although I did play some on my Steam Deck as well, and you know, it still just kind of slowly plugging away at it. Um, I will say, the more I play of Red Dead Redemption 2, the more I miss certain things about Red Dead Redemption 1. Um, like this game obviously looks um, like a hundred times better than the first game. Um, and a lot of the, like, combat and stuff, well, maybe not so much the combat, but, um, there are just a lot of aspects that are definitely, like, quality of life improvements over the first game, but the one thing, if, if I have, like, one major complaint about this game, it's the fact that there's less music, um, mm -hmm. because, a as a lot of open world games do now, it follows the trend of having more quiet when you're, like, when you're traversing around and everything as opposed to just having music playing all the time even if it's you know lower volume and the first game had music playing basically all the time and just the, the soundtrack was fantastic and it seems like like whenever I actually hear the music in this game it's really good it's just that I don't get to hear it all that often so that's been a little bit disappointing for me and it's definitely um made it less memorable than the first game was for me because the first game it was just like you know being out in the desert and everything riding around you know the the long rides but then you'd have that you know music playing that just fits so well with the game and it was just like it was peaceful i don't know how to explain it but anyway even still i'm enjoying the game overall i i know that there's zero chance that i'll um be done with it even by the time I'm done with my 24-hour live stream unless I played just that and I'm not going to. Um, 
But then the, the, the game that I uh, played a lot of um, over the past uh, several days or so, it has been... Um, actually, wait, I'm, I'm going to come to that one last. <laughs> because, or, well, second to last. Um, so, so uh, you know, last week I talked about the other game that I bought on Switch uh, during a sale, a game called Mato Anomalies. And um, previously, you know, like the understanding I had was that it was Persona-like. But having actually played it a bit, it's really not. Um, if anything, it reminds me a little bit more of um, Tokyo Mirage Sessions. And I don't know uh. if you played that one at all. I, I mean, I, I had gotten it on Wii U and I played a decent chunk, but never finished it. And then I got it when it came out on Switch and played through the whole game. Um, but it reminds me a little bit more of that. But then it also just kind of has... It's like it doesn't have a firm identity of what it actually is. If that makes sense. Like it has different types of gameplay. Like it'll have some of the dungeon crawling type elements to it. Uh, you know, with turn-based uh, fighting, but then outside of these, this, I mean, when, when you're not in this other world or whatever, when you are in like the main world, you'll do these things that have you um, basically doing like a card battling thing, where it's like turn-based card battle, and then it feels more visual novel in some spots. It, like I said, it's it's just kind of weird, and the gameplay is not is not going to show all of that because I just kind of recorded a moment in time, but I, I did it all as a recording overhead for the Switch OLED screen, so there was there was that. Um, but in addition to playing that, the other game that I played a lot of on Switch is Unsold, and uh, this one will also be recorded overhead. I tried to get a lot more gameplay this time, a lot more of the action than I had previously, but um, I really, really enjoyed the game. And I actually technically finished it. Um, so I, I think that... I, I, I should say, I'm not entirely 100% sure that it's finished, finished. Because I've heard some people say that it is one that you're intended to play more than one time. But it I mean, like, I, I went back into the game, and you can do a regular new game, or you can continue and do chapter select. You know, to get, like, remaining uh, collectibles and that sort of thing, upgrades, all that. Um, but, like, when I went back to chapter select, starting from the very beginning, I didn't really get any indicator that it actually was... Um, that it was, like, continuing in any sort of way. It's not, like... In Hades, where you know when when you even when when you get through the whole thing and you die, you go back to the beginning, but it continues the story forward. It's more like um, you get to the end of of the story, credits roll, and then you can either continue and do chapter select, or you can start a new game. And there's not really any indication of it being connected otherwise. So I don't know. Um, either way, it's a really, really fun game. I mean, I, I was playing on the easiest of the three difficulties, so I've contemplated playing some more on, like, at least normal difficulty rather than going up to basically the Souls-like difficulty. Um, but I just, I had a good time with it. And it was, you know, it was $4, so even better. But mm -hmm. I think that I probably was 
less than 10 hours it took me to finish the whole game. Probably a lot less than that. Probably closer to like five hours, five or six hours. It's pretty short, but it was it's really good, and I, I love the art style, and combat feels good. I mean, it's a lot more fluid than like Dark Souls, that sort of thing. Um, but then the last thing I played, um, I got early access on Ghost Runner 2. So I was playing that uh, both on Steam Deck and on PC. Um, the the video footage that is going to be shown here is all Steam Deck footage. Um, it can get up to 60 frames per second, um, but it's not as consistent necessarily. And so I basically just ended up capping it at 40, uh, doing 40 hertz refresh rate and capping it at 40. And that was kind of a good compromise. Um, I did not try it with the default settings that they had it when I booted it up because the default settings were on low and I just I wanted to at least bump up some of the textures to make it look a little better mm -hmm. um, because it just I, I wanted it to look better than like the switch version of Ghost Runner one looked, <laughs> and, it, and it was you know low settings it was kind of borderline on that I mean like I don't think it was quite as bad as the switch version of, of the first game but um, and of course, the Switch version looked bad and only ran at 30 frames per second. Um, but yeah, I, I've been able to get a pretty consistent 40 F FPS on the um, Steam Deck version. I mean, you know, when playing on Steam Deck, um, occasionally I can get up above that. And there have been a couple times with some recent levels where there's just like a lot going on in the background in terms of... Mm -hmm. A draw distance and everything because it didn't actually have a setting for adjusting the draw distance which was unusual but um where it actually dropped down into like the 20s which was not good but um it was also like there wasn't a lot of enemies attacking or anything so it was technically playable um i don't know i i might mess around with the settings some more but in general i'll be playing it more on my desktop and i did play it some on my desktop and was able to get um, mostly high settings and 120 frames per second. So, yeah, quite happy with that. I, I played a little bit for my last test stream that I did last night uh, before my big 24-hour thing this Friday. So, but either way, um, uh, everything I've played about it, it's great. They definitely made some quality of life improvements over the first game. And as much as I love the first game, like absolutely love it. Um, this one, I can already tell, is probably going to be a better game. Just from the quality of life stuff that they've done. Um, most notably of which is the fact that they actually have uh, real checkpoints and levels. Like, previously, the, the, the way the game is set up is you, take, you have checkpoints, but once you exit the level, like if you close out the game, mm. you come back to it, it takes you back to the very beginning of the level. Um... And, I mean, when I played it on Switch, it wasn't really a problem because, you know, whenever I if I died at a certain point, I'd still be at the checkpoint. I'd just turn off the Switch, bring it, you know, turn it back on just in sleep mode. So easy enough to get back where I was or, you know, playing on Steam Deck, same thing. But when I'm transferring, when I'm switching between the Steam Deck and PC, not having to worry about losing all that progress means, like, if I don't finish a level, I don't have to worry about going back and redoing everything. So that's really helpful. But anyway, lots of good stuff. The, the game officially will be out on the 26th, which is tomorrow from the day of recording, and will already be out by the time um, this comes out, the podcast. So, but yeah, 
definitely a, a great game for people who are fans of the first one. But yeah, that's all I have as far as games I've been playing. Nice, nice, definitely. I still need to go back and finish the first Ghost Runner. Like I've I've played a little bit of it, um, and I definitely enjoyed what I played, but I just never went and finished it though. Yeah, I mean it's it's well worth it. It's a challenging game, but <laughs> I feel like it's it, it's challenging but fair because mm. if you die, you can restart instantly there's no loading times nothing like that it's just like you instantly can restart from where you died or rather from the beginning of of the checkpoint so mm -hmm. it's completely fair from that standpoint and um yeah i mean that that one was interesting on switch to say the least but i did finish it there and then when i played it on on pc it's like there's no going back <laughs> Although, because of how much I wanted to, how much I loved the game and how much I wanted to support it, I did buy the physical version on Switch after I played it on uh, after I played it on PC because I just wanted to support the developers. Plus, you know, having the cartridge, it's just kind of a, it's a, the novelty of it all. Mm. So, yeah, but anyway, um, anything else before we get into news? Um, no, no, I think, I think, we're, I think we named everything we did. Yeah, I think we're good. All right, so getting into the news. First of all, Netflix had, I mean, we've heard in the past that Netflix was going to be doing a cloud gaming service, and they've already uh, previously launched limited trials in both Canada and the UK, and now they're starting to do it in the US. Um... I mean, I know that they've already had like some some like indie titles come to their service that to where you can actually play them through like a Netflix gaming app that you get to through the Netflix app, something to that effect. I never did it myself; I just heard about it. Um, but yeah, uh, what do you think about all this? I've, I, I'm very skeptical. I mean, I know what Netflix claims; like they said, it's not supposed to be a comp. A competitor to something like console games that's supposed to replace it but just something extra and they even mentioned that this is going to be something that they're going to aim towards streamers mm -hmm. um especially with a lot of that but and i also know that they did mention that they're going to focus a whole lot on making games of their uh, of their shows so different ips like right. yeah. uh, stranger games uh stream i'm sorry stranger things squid game mm -hmm. and then other ips of their original series um, but they have also mentioned that they're doing something for Grand Theft Autos, which is something that, you know, is, a, I mean, it's a licensed thing, so I mm -hmm, wouldn't, right. you know, I definitely don't think it's gonna be something like, oh, GTA 6 is going to be Netflix exclusive. <laughs> streaming but, only. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, I can, uh, streaming only, oh goodness. Yeah. But I can imagine, though, that they might maybe be doing something like that where they might be getting going to other companies and licensing and making their own sort of games and also it wasn't stated what type of game this is whether it's something that is i guess more casual than your typical gta game so if they might be doing something like that sort of how i know how uh ubisoft when with like older 
mobile phones. They had their own sort of, this is the console version of Assassin's Creed. Here is the mobile phone version of right. Assassin's Creed. So I don't know if it's going to be, I mean, I'm not saying it's like mobile phone quality, but it's it's right. not right. going to be something that's just like you would expect, like the same quality right. of a, so maybe it's something like that. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, also, I don't know if these are things that are going to be solely exclusive for Netflix. I mean, their licensed games, like, uh, not licensed, but the ones based on their shows, I have a feeling those are pro- most likely going to be exclusive to Netflix. Um, but as far as with licensing, because they might even say, hey, we're going to go to someone like Activision, go to EA, go to Warner Brothers Interactive, take two, well, take two is GTA, but something mm-hmm. like that, they could possibly go and just do more stuff like that, so I don't know, I'd, I'd have to see more. Like, personally, I'm not interested in this because it, it just isn't for me. I'm not yeah. really one of streaming games uh, just because I, for one thing, you know, need to have a constant internet connection, make sure it's also good so that you don't get lag, you don't have all of these hiccups but then also it's just another thing i was like i don't own the game and it's at the mercy of a, of, of, a, of a server so right that's 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 how i feel yeah i mean i'm i'm very very in a very similar position to you uh i don't i i have a te- i have tr- tested out a st- you know, streaming games before really I, I literally just did demos like i i tried doing um control on switch um did the, the streaming demo of that i like it looked good it ran decently but i also had fast internet and was playing at home um i i still never would purchase a game that way or you know just rely on doing that in general but for like if i'm streaming from my pc to something that's fine. I mean, like I've I've done that. Um, I've actually streamed a fair amount, going from um, from my PC to either you know using my Steam Link in the living room or using the Steam Link app on my phone, or times when I can't properly stream a game uh, directly through Steam on the Steam Deck, I'll use the Steam Link application. Um, here, let me grab something. One second. I have this. Um, this uh, grip thing that goes on my phone and actually maybe I'll just even show what it looks like while I'm talking if I can do two things at once um, and like it works works quite well I mean this particular one that I got actually has larger sticks instead of having the switch size uh, joy-con sticks but it uh, you know it works pretty nicely for or streaming a variety of games, and yes, it's not the ideal way to play. Most of the time, I would rather just you know play something natively on like Steam Deck or whatever. But um, there have been times, for example, when I would be so. There's how it okay. is. Okay, it's got you know, and the sticks are are good size and everything. It's you know got not full size buttons and all that stuff. It works works pretty nicely, but um, like. Um, when my wife and I are both wanting to play Diablo 4 at the same time. So she'll be playing natively on the Steam Deck, and then I'll just stream it to my phone, and I get the version that looks a little prettier, and they both run at 60 frames per second, so it works out nicely for both of us. Um, 
yeah. It's, uh, in, in general, the, the idea of streaming, like, I, I think it can be good, but I wouldn't ever want it to be exclusively that. If I'm running, mm. if I'm running the game in my house off of my own hardware, then it's one thing. But if I'm running it from some remote server, I'm not about that. Yeah, that, that's actually a good point about that about that differentiation because if you're streaming your from your own hardware, like that's a completely separate thing, and you know right. that's something that you own, you can do whatever. And also, I would imagine that you ha would sort of have better connection mm -hmm. from your uh, PC to your phone or other exactly. device as opposed to from a remote server somewhere to your home internet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. I mean, like, uh, streaming from my PS4 has been kind of iffy for the most part. Um, it can work to some degree, like, last year, I think... Actually, it was the last time I did the stack-up stream. Um, I streamed... I was technically streaming um, Uncharted, the first Uncharted game for my PS4 to my Steam Deck. But all I was really doing was I was using the Steam Deck so that I would have gyro aiming for the game because and then i was playing the game on my computer screen so i had you know my ps4 connected to my monitor so that it there wasn't any latency in terms of the picture and then having the steam deck i could make use of the gyro for aiming which made such a huge difference especially playing on the highest difficulty and uh yeah or well i guess technically it isn't the highest difficulty anymore because they added an additional difficulty for the <laughs> collection but Crushing is still very difficult. Um, anyway, all that being said, as, as an overall thing, I think we'll have to see what exactly Netflix does. At least some of the games that they're they've been doing, you know, like games like Oxenfree, which they and you know, they purchased the developer, um, I think a couple years ago. Um, you know, things like that, and, and the games that they do in general, which tend to be more like turn-based type games, you know, the kind of games that don't require quick reflexes, I can see that working just fine. Mm. Just not like the big, you know, uh, AAA crazy games. That That's just insane. I can't imagine trying to do that. All right, any other thoughts on that before we move on to the next topic? Nope, I think I'm good. All right, so we got a pretty surprising uh, bit of information, and we, we talked about this a little bit last week, but uh, Circana, which is formerly known as MPD, uh, released their sales charts for September of 2023, as well as uh, the overall sales charts for this year. And... Uh, for the dates from uh, August 27th through November or through September 30th, 2023, we had Starfield in the number one sales slot. Um, and for for people who who say, oh, well, you know, it was just September, it was actually, I mean, September, yes, it was the only month where it was at the top of the sales, but it still made the top ten. Uh, being at number seven most sold game for the year so far. So from January 1st through November 30th, it it is number seven in the top 
I mean, in, in the sales charts, uh, top 20 sales charts. So it's pretty impressive. And when you look at the games that it outsold for September on its own, it outsold Mortal Kombat 1, which was multi-platform. Yeah. It sold EA Sports FC, which I'm assuming is Football Club. Probably, I think that they stopped. Uh, they didn't want to renew the FIFA license because it was too expensive, so they just changed the name of the game. Um, but, I mean, those are uh, especially that uh, EA Sports and uh, Madden. I mean, the NBA 2K24. And you know, some of these other ones have been out for quite a while, but still, you know, number one seller for the month of September. And, okay, so this in and of itself, whatever. Not that big of a deal. But what makes this so significant is the fact that Starfield was also a day one Game Pass release. And, yes, there was the option to purchase uh, the premium edition, which would make it so that people would actually be able to get early access to the game and be able to play it on September 1st instead of having to wait until September 6th, which was the official release date and the point when it actually came to uh, Game Pass for everybody with just the normal monthly fee. But it's still, they sold, they actually, this is actual copies sold. This isn't just people playing the game. It sold better than any other game in the month of September. Despite the fact that people could get it on Game Pass without having to spend anything extra. And this is counting both PC and Xbox. This doesn't, and this doesn't count PC Game Pass because the PC Game Pass stuff are, are through the Microsoft launcher, which is separate from Steam, and this is only counting Steam sales. And as far as I can tell, it's not counting any other um, sellers on, um, on PC. I'm not sure if it counts any like third-party like key sellers like Green Man Gaming, things like that. Because like I I got my my copy through Green Man Gaming because it was like 20% off. Uh, for the early access version, so saved quite a bit of money for being able to play early. But so, what do you think this means when it comes to the whole idea that Game Pass? I mean, games coming to Game Pass day one means that they're not going to sell. I mean, it definitely throws a huge wrench into anyone into, into the plans of anyone who says. You know, games are going to flop if they're going to be owned. I mean, you definitely have those fanboys out there who say, uh, Xbox gamers don't buy their games, you know. They only just want to play their games on Game Pass. But the fact that this game sold out so well, and in fact that the fact that it beat out Mortal Kombat 1, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a big, heavy hitter. I mean, I would say that's... Even considering the fact that you have Madden and you have uh, Football Club, which, you know... Maybe because of it, maybe because it loses its licensed name, some people might not care as much. Some people, you know, probably still are huge FIFA fans and are saying, Mm. you know, despite the name, we still love the game. We're gonna buy the game anyway. But I still think that Mortal Kombat is the biggest title out of all of those. And the fact that Starfield beat that game really speaks volumes. Um, And, you know, it also makes you wonder. Well, what's going to happen when uh, Elder Scrolls Six comes out? Right. I mean, <laughs> and, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, the fact that 
there's so much i mean i mean microsoft really they really promoted this game uh they really advertised it well and so i think that really did a huge that that really helped them out but i think the fact that I, I don't know. I just think the fact that people really wanted this game and were so, they really just wanted to play this game. So they were, they didn't even care about, you know, getting on Game Pass. They said, despite the fact that's going to be a Game Pass day one, I just want to get the game. And, you know, I don't even know how many people got the early uh, access issue, but I do know that a lot of people were buying that version. So. I mean, I'm not gonna say it's like enough people that really like that was the majority of people bought the early access edition, right. but I still think that people were so hyped for the game, they didn't care. They just went to like get the game when it when it when it came right. out, and they probably were like, yeah, you know what? It's a Bethesda game. You know, we've enjoyed Bethesda games. We've enjoyed Fallout. We've enjoyed Elder Scrolls. So this is gonna be another game that don't care if it's on Game Pass. Add it to the collection of games that they own definitely yeah i mean it's one of those things where you really can't i mean it, it's hard to say at this point that game pass is legitimately that negative of, of an impact i mean it's like the same people who say that that piracy is the reason games don't sell as well and the reality is that the people who are pirating games we're going to pirate the game regardless it's not be, it's not just because Oh, it's easier, whatever. Most of the time, it's just people would rather pirate the game than purchase it, or they want to avoid DRM, whatever the reason. Um, and the same goes with this. You know, yeah, there's a lot of people who have the option to just go through Game Pass, and some people they just want to own the game. How's the investigation? And I mean, without a Good without one. a doubt, there was definitely people who were doing Spice the early access thing. I mean, um, I'm pretty sure no that. Staffing problems. I'm still um, they said that. in the first weekend, and that I can't said, remember if this was seems to be turning around. early access weekend or if it was um, the you. first weekend after the Who official release, but they were up to like 6 time. million players across all platforms. <laughs> and, um, of course, I, that, that number was including Game Pass. Um, we don't know we don't know the actual sales numbers uh, for Starfield so far, anyway, but still the fact that it was number one it? is if significant. I mean... I personally am not sure if Mortal Kombat is as big of a seller as it was like when I was a kid. Um, but ah, honestly, I, I stopped following Mortal Kombat after like Mortal Kombat 3. So I, I don't know how big of a seller it still is. Uh, yeah, but it does have the multi-platform like aspect. The fact that it's on basically <laughs> everything. Switch. Um, Back to work. But the thing about Starfield is the fact that it did sell well enough to where it was included in all of this. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, oh gosh, because you did mention something that I is like a definitely good point. I mean, I would say that Mortal Kombat still, even despite the fact that, you know, it was huge, I think the fact that it somehow, in, in a sense, got bigger because for the past few games like i don't know maybe past three games or so they've started to incorporate and this is also something that other games have done as well but they've incorporated other characters from other franchises um into the games to like boost those dlc sales and also those pre-orders like um 
for this recent one, they included uh, Omni-Man from Invincible. They included Homelander from The Boys. Um, so getting into that modern pop culture superhero uh, stuff. So I think that that also sort of helps with pre-orders and other stuff like that. So I do think that it does still have that major relevancy that, that arguably is about the same maybe even slightly more so than it was right back now, in like the arcade days so I, I still think that this is nothing to know just to uh overlook especially the fact that you know i didn't address this but the fact that you mentioned it was the fact that monster oh gosh i'm not monster <laughs> mortal kombat one is completely multi-platform every distant and as you mentioned the nintendo switch which i completely forgot about because I'm thinking about that game running on there, but yeah. the fact that's everywhere, and this is only for, you know, Xbox and PC, it really speaks volumes. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that, and um, kind of getting back to the, the whole idea of Game Pass. So, a lot of people really do think that the Game Pass is, is detrimental to game sales, that people are not going to purchase games if they can get them on Game Pass, but this has already shown that that's not necessarily the case. Now, it's not going to happen with every single game. I mean, look at games like Forza, which, you know, recent, the uh, recent Forza just came out, and then there's, um, was, there was another one, um, another recent Xbox release, and I can't remember which one it was. Um, oh, uh, Redfall. You know, both of those were day one Game Pass. And even with that being the case, they definitely didn't sell anywhere near as well as Starfield. Starfield has, of course, the brand recognition of Bethesda, having been, you know, developed these massive games over the years and everything else. And sure, there's plenty of, of people who have had, and there's been very mixed reactions to Starfield. I get it. Nope, you know, that's fine. You know, some people like it, some people don't. Some people think it's very mid. I, I I can definitely understand how a lot of people have said that it's kind of like a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. That it does lots of things and does them reasonably well, but nothing like to really stand out. And I, I can definitely understand that and even agree to it to some extent. But the fact of the matter is that Starfield has sold this well. We, I mean, we don't know exactly how many copies it sold, but it sold well enough to be at the top of the sales charts and in the top 10 of the sales charts for the entire year, only covering a single month of sales. Now, where it's going to be at the end of the year, my guess is it's probably not going to move up much more than that. Um, I would assume that probably as time goes on and it goes on sale, then it will start selling better, and it'll be kind of like Skyrim where it'll be sort of an evergreen title, not to the extent of, like, Nintendo games, like Mario Kart, which is, I think, was still in the top, um, is number 15 in the top 20 for the year, and Mario Kart 8 came out, well, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe came out in 2017, and then, uh, for this year, I think, what did it say, for September? Oh, no, that was, that was 15 for just September, and in the top, uh, where is it in the top 20? Oh, it's number 20 in the top 20 for the, for the for the whole year. But even still, point is that it very much is um, 
very much is a situation where you, you can't you can't say necessarily that Game Pass is going to harm these sales. Um, and kind of going back to my point about like how it compares with the idea of piracy and everything. So, emulation. That is how I got introduced to some of my favorite games of all time. Like, particularly uh, Chrono Trigger. Uh, the first time I played that was through an emulator. Um, a lot of the earlier Final Fantasy games, that's how I played them for the first time. Um, and as a result, I ended up buying those games. In some cases, several times. Um, and it's because of how much I love those games. And I think that the thing about Game Pass that can be really great is it can introduce people to new games. And while, yeah, there are definitely plenty of people who they'll play it on Game Pass, they'll never come back to it, even if they enjoy it. There are also some people who they'll try it on Game Pass, decide that they really like it, and then they decide that they want to buy it. And a lot of it's probably going to depend on like where you're at in life, the kind of uh, money you have available. Like I wasn't buying a whole lot of games when I was younger because I didn't have money. Then I started working and actually having consistent income and everything and could afford to purchase games all the time. And so I do that. And typically now, because my attitude is I would rather own a game or as close to owning a game as possible, given the digital age, um, I'll buy it. I, you know, I'm, I don't subscribe to Game Pass because I don't see the point for me personally when I already have literally hundreds of games that I could play without ever going into their library, and for me it would just be wasted money. But for people who don't have that vast library of games, you know, it makes sense. Game Pass makes a lot of sense. and But it's also not preventing people from buying games day one. Um, or, you know, even just wanting to buy them in general. You know, it's not going to stop people from buying the games, even without a discount. And the fact is, is that there were a lot of people who bought the early access version because they wanted to play this game that much. And Starfield, despite being an unknown property, sold this well. Elder Scrolls 6 is going to be insane. I mean, and we already know, at least as, as the last thing we heard, is that Elder Scrolls 6 is going to be an Xbox and PC exclusive, which is great for us because we're PC gamers. Great for Xbox gamers. And the reality is that it will be developed entirely by Xbox because basically all they did was like some very early concept stuff before they got acquired and everything else will will be under Microsoft's ownership under you know their leadership and them paying for everything so makes sense um but this also kind of brings up another interesting point so we can see now that having I mean, Xbox has been releasing their games day one on PC for a long time. Um, it's been at least a few years that they've been doing that, I believe. I could be wrong on that. I may be remembering wrong, but honestly, things kind of blur together mm. sometimes. Um, a lot of PlayStation fans have been saying that... And I'm not just talking about the fanboys, I'm talking about fans and fanboys. Two different things, in my opinion. I've been saying that if Sony starts selling their games day one on on PC, same day as it releases on PlayStation, that it's going to devalue those games 
and that those games are not going to sell as well. Now, I personally am of the opinion that that is not true at all. I've been of the opinion of that for a long time, and I think this situation shows that the game can still sell well. In fact, it will probably sell even better if they release it day one on PC because of the simple fact that you have a whole new group of people who are not going to buy your console anyway, ready and willing to buy it on PC, and they'll buy it day one because they want to support that practice. Now, of course, whether or not there will be issues with that day one version, that's a different question. But it still should, I mean, this has shown you, like Starfield, the PC version is not as good as the con, well, I should, let me back up, that's not accurate. Uh, saying that Starfield, Starfield is not as well optimized on PC to where it has enough consistency uh, versus the Xbox version, even though it's only 30 frames per second, is more consistent in how it's optimized because they were focused when they developed it on making it run well on the Xbox because they knew that's where it was going to be. Probably um, that's where their primary player base was going to be. And, you know, like I've been saying for years, I firmly believe, especially now, now that we've seen what Starfield did, that if PlayStation starts releasing their games on PC day one, they're going to see a huge growth in sales. And I'm not just talking like, like a little bit here and there. I'm talking about probably millions in general. Um, yes, there are some people... There are definitely plenty of people out there who have a PS5 and have a PC. They'll buy the game on PS5, and then down the line they'll buy it again on PC. But then there are plenty of PC gamers that they don't want to buy a PS5. Whether because they are like thoroughly against the practice of exclusives in general, and they just don't want to buy a PlayStation for that purpose, or because they're like me and just are kind of done buying consoles and having to buy a game more than once. You know, when I could just buy the game one time and never have to buy it again. But, anyway. I kind of rambled on there for a bit. Um, so, so what are your further thoughts now that I've gotten into all that stuff? Yeah, <laughs> and you actually, um, you brought, well, sort of, one point definitely was relevant. The other one, sort of, I'm going to splinter off of that. So I want to uh, backtrack to the fact that I mentioned about Game Pass and about how people are introduced to games. Um, and it's very funny because the friend I mentioned earlier who I met up with uh, yesterday, for the longest time, he had never played any sort of indie games. And, you know, he primarily was playing big AAA games and maybe some AA games. Mm -hmm. But through Game Pass, he actually experienced indie games for the first time. And he realized hey, these are actually not so bad, you know? And I I was like, yeah, indie games can be great. They can be just as good, and, you know, depending on what game it is, even better than these, or at least as far as, like, the quality of the games, the effort that's put into the games, better than these larger, bigger, triple-A-class games. So for someone like that, I think that Game Pass definitely does provide that value because you can either get into genres like for example say you have someone who plays more action-based games you might 
try something that's more turn-based, or you might try a completely different genre, like a puzzle game, or some, something else. So, like, I definitely see that value there for someone who uh, really only plays one type of game, or just a few types of games, and has never touched anything else. You can try something else that's new and different, and see how that goes. So I def so I do agree with your point there about how for someone who is who who is has a short who has a lower budget, um, that definitely is useful for them. Or someone who just doesn't really do much of doesn't play many variety of games. Um, but sort of switching off to your other talk about something interesting about what this about the precedent this sets is sort of different. Um, I know for you this will definitely be different because you use Green Man Gaming and got a discount. Mm -hmm. But the press that this sets is a major that this is a big selling game and it was a seventy dollar had seventy dollar price tag. And, and we do know that um, Microsoft did say that future larger games are going to be seventy dollars instead of the right. sixty dollars that they have been. But I'm wondering though what sort of press this will set for other <clears throat> excuse me for a second <clears throat> sorry um but i'm just wondering what sort of precedent that might set for other developers i mean we do know that sony has their own 70 dollar games we do know that ea has 70 dollar games and activision has a couple of i think that the latest call of duty was 70 dollars but I'm just wondering, sort of, is that going to sort of inspire more, uh, company, more publishers to say, hey, you know, maybe we can, you know, raise our prices to seven dollars as well. Now, again, like a lot of PC gamers, like you, met, like you, um, you got your games from third party, or not third party, but from uh, other key sites where you get those good discounts. So you're actually getting a good deal on, on that stuff. But you know. For a lot of people, like for example, say on Xbox, who don't have those like other sellers um, who buy it for seventy dollars, do you think that could impact how games are being sold as far as like the price uh, goes? Well, to be honest, I on I really think that that's already changed. Um, now, that's not to say that it's changed with everyone, but. Triple-A games, yeah, I mean, they're they're already going to go that route. Uh, the only reason Nintendo hasn't done it with more of their games yet is because they haven't had a good excuse. Um, the excuse they had with Tears of the Kingdom, releasing that at $70, was because they had to use a larger cartridge because of the size of of the game files. Um, it, was, it was bigger than the 16-gigabyte cartridge, and so that was their excuse. And obviously, they were, they were definitely testing the waters with that, but they haven't done any $70 games since then. Of course, you you can you can bet without any doubt whatsoever, at least in my mind, that the next uh, next gen switches games are going to be seventy dollars. I I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be. Uh, Sony started the precedent, and it's just going to continue. And of course, you know, Starfield sold extremely well. A lot of other games have sold extremely well. I mean, Call of Duty has been doing seventy dollars, and they're still selling. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, basically, console gamers pay the console tax. It's, it's what they're doing. They're, they're paying extra for the convenience of having a box that doesn't require any extra effort. Now, of course, 
they don't recognize that even though it doesn't require it doesn't technically require extra effort you also can't put in the extra effort if you're not happy with how the game runs which is mm-hmm. one of the benefits of PC gaming um, but yeah I, I, I think I think that we're already past that point it's the seventy dollars is is what's going to stick with it, and um, I think that every major publisher developer is going to do seventy dollars unless it's a shorter game that they can get away or that they don't think they can get away with it, or like a smaller developer. Like as an example, Ghost Runner Two, uh, they just did. Um, I mean, you know, they they have the early access version, which you know came out two days early. Um, the early access version, though, also comes with the season pass, which, based on the quality of the DLC that they released for the last game, specifically the single-player uh, story DLC that like takes place before the main game, I thought it was worth it. And it's like, okay, early access plus the season pass, that's worth the $70. And that was $70 for that like top-tier version. And then with the Green Man Gaming discount, I got like, I think, 18% off or something like that. So it was like 56, something like that. So it was cheaper, but, um, you know, then you have Sony. They're going to keep releasing all their games at $70, their first party titles. Maybe with the exception of some regular remasters. Um, Like if it's a smaller remaster, they might not do that. But, of course, then we had Last of Us Part 1, which they call a remake charge $70 for it. Most likely same thing is going to happen when they do they do the Last of Us Part 2 remaster, remake, whatever they're going to call it. Um, and, you know, it, the only thing, I, they might not do it with, like, Bloodborne, whenever that eventually makes its way over to PC, PS5 and gets that 60 frames per second update, but theoretically they wouldn't have to do a whole lot with that visually. Although they'd probably try to force ray tracing have with spider-man i don't know yeah the, the, the force ray tracing it'll still be so you'll still have the option to play at 30 frames per second with ray tracing or they'll uh maybe maybe they'll do just regular 60 frames mode i don't know i don't know i'm not going down that rabbit hole right now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um all that just kind of going back to the the main topic with this. I I I've said it before. I'll say it again. I do not think Game Pass harms game sales as much as people think it does, and I think that it's actually more helpful than people realize. Whether or not it's profitable, that's something we can't know for sure. Apart from what Microsoft says, I know a lot of people do not believe it's profitable. Um. I think that there's a lot of factors that aren't considered, and I think they underestimate how many people spend a lot more money on Game Pass than they would spend on actually buying games if they were buying games. But that's just my thought on the matter. Anything further you want to talk about with that? Uh, no, no, I'm good. All right, so... Speaking of PC, we just got the requirements for Alan Wake 2. And who boy. <laughs> that is yet another recent example of 
a game that is... The requirements are insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me just kind of go over the requirements here for the different resolutions. And I might actually just go ahead and share my screen on this one. There we go. Okay, so for the minimum requirements, low graphics preset, 1080p, 30 frames per second, you need a GeForce RTX 2060, a 6 gigs of VRAM, um, which, well, really, so technically, if you use something else, it just has to have that minimum amount of VRAM. And you have to have DLSS or FSR enabled, an i5-7600K or AMD equivalent for your CPU, 16 gigs of RAM, and 90 gigs for your storage, 90 gigs across the board, of course. The recommended medium settings for 1080p60, you need to have a RTX 3070. You still have to have DLSS um, or FSR enabled. 16 gigs of RAM. And then and then we, it, when you get into ultra settings for 4K 60, you need an R, you need an RTX 4070 with ray tra- or I mean sorry, with DLSS or FSR, 16 gigs of RAM. And the fact that you need a 30 series card for 1440p, 30 frames per second. This game is not optimized. <laughs> it is it is not optimized at all. And legitimately, like I I don't understand this. I so it is an Unreal Engine 5 game. I do want to point that out. And this is not the first example of an Unreal Engine 5 game that is not well optimized. Now, I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that Alan Wake 2 will not run at 60 on PS5 or Series X. It's probably only going to be 30 FPS there. And I could be wrong on that front, but I can't imagine unless... I mean, if, if they have it running at 60... On these systems, even though we know, of course, obviously, it's not going to look as pretty. And it still looks really good. Like, it is legitimately one of the best-looking games that they've made. And, I mean, Remedy has continually pushed the boundaries of what they can do with each system. Um, Even if the first Alan Wake was... I mean, has not held up well visually. But, like, you look at um, Control, of course, which was their most recent game looks incredible. I mean, it is a beautiful looking game. Or, um, you know, before that, what's the other one? Um, I have it in my Steam library. Uh, it's... It was the one that was an Xbox exclusive. Um, it's not... Quantum, Quantum Break. Break. Yeah, Quantum Break. I mean, that one still looks good. Now, I haven't played that one yet. I do have it. I haven't bought it. I mean, I haven't played it yet, but... Um, yes, this the studio makes really good-looking games, and they, they push the hardware. But... This is just... 
the the problem with these things is that right now games like this games like um what was the other one it's another unreal engine 5 game i'm trying to remember the name of it um one that's coming out or one that it's one that came out pretty recently it's like a first person magic game and it's on the tip of my brain. It's it's one that I was actually like really interested in playing too. Let me just I'll just bring up my, my wish list right. here. But um, just okay. uh, Immortals of Avium. That's the name of it. Mm-hmm. So that's another one where it is, and, and it's possible that by this point they they fixed it. I I'm not aware of them having fixed it, but it's something that. Um, is also very poorly optimized for PC. Then you have a game which is not Unreal Engine 5, uh, which is, for some reason, I can't, I'm spacing on names of these games. Um, It's the one that was a PlayStation, was on PlayStation exclusively and PC. Uh, With the the very overly chatty girl that is obnoxious. Oh gosh, Um, Unspoken. Forspoken. A uh, forespoken. Yes, forespoken. I wish I, I, I wish unspoken. it was unspoken. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have the the title for our, our, our <laughs> unspoken. Just do a picture of her with duct tape over her mouth. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for giving me a good title for this episode. All right. Um, yeah. So forespoken. You know, another example of a game that required way too much. For the quality of the visuals and everything else, and I believe that they fixed some of that since then, because uh, that game did come out early this year. I'm pretty sure is when it was. But yeah. the reality is that we we have these games that are coming out. They're they're not optimized at all for PC. They're just well, I, I, you know, Starfield's even an example. Um, I I don't think Starfield's quite as crazy, but the fact is is that it should run way better than on PC. There's there's no reason why it shouldn't be running significantly better, especially on NVIDIA cards. I think it runs better on AMD cards, um, but it's just, it's not well optimized. And there's so many of these games that are coming out that are just so poorly optimized. And these developers, whether it's because they're lazy or it's because they just run into deadlines, my guess is it's probably, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say it's more of the latter, that they're running into deadlines. They have to focus on the console versions because those are the ones that are going to get, I mean, that that are easy, more difficult to release in a broken state. But, I don't know, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Yeah, I definitely agree that this is just another, uh, just another uh, piece of this ever-growing puzzle mm-hmm. that, it, because we've had so many games, and the fact that you have... And I I know that this again is also a card that's been out for I don't know maybe at least seven years or so, but still a 2060 as a minimum card and only getting 30 FPS right with and with with DLSS or FSR enabled mm-hmm. and the fact that and this is our thing is the fact that initially I thought. You know, DLSS and uh, FSR, especially once, you know, 2.0 came out and was better. 
I thought, no, this is great. This is actually a pretty good thing to help older cards. Mm. You know, especially people who, you know, don't have enough money yet saved up to get newer parts. So if they're, say, on a, uh, say, a GTX 1070 card or something like that, AMD equivalent, something like that. It's good for people who have older cards to be able to still be able to play these newer games with a decent frame rate and yet still have pretty decent quality visually wise. I mean, it's not, you know, completely native, but the fact that now it's just being used as a crutch to get these games to run well or just, or not even well, just decently, like just performing at 60 FPS, you know, using a 3070, which is a it's from the last generation, but that is a that that is a high quality card. Like you're just it's a high quality card. It's not like it's a, a mid-range card. It's not like it's a low budget card. This is a a 3070 is a pretty decent card. Yeah. The fact that it's only recommend it's recommended for 1080p 60 fps. That is it, it's not even ultra. It's just the recommended. That yeah. is insulting to me. And also still you need to have DLSS. You that's still the setting. Mm-hmm. DLSS. So DLSS and FSR are crutches because they say, "Oh, well, if you use this, the game will run fine." The game shouldn't need that. Right. These cards should be perfectly well and pretty capable to do to have the games run well, have these graphic settings, and not have to, the, the that should be able, the DLSS and FSR should be if we went to either. You know maybe peek past something which we wouldn't normally do like say if we're running at 1440p you know maybe get 4k and still have roughly the same amount of frame uh frames per second mm-hmm. or you know for even a lower card you know maybe getting to something like 1440p from 1080p or if we just want to keep what we have but then maybe just increase our frame rate so say if we're at 60 we want to get something like 90 i don't know something like that but the fact that you need this, that this is a requirement to get the game to work, that is, that's un, that's inexcusable. It, yeah. That's that's completely inexcusable. That should be something that is if we want to improve what we already have, not to just make the game work in the first place. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... The other thing that baffles me about this is that when you consider the, the power that you have in the current gen consoles with Xbox Series X being the most powerful, followed by PS5. Neither of these come anywhere near close to those specs. And we I, I don't know for sure if either of them are going to have a, a performance mode that will give them 60 frames per second, but it's very obvious that they focused on making the console versions as best as they could and just basically kind of did as little as they could get away with on PC so that it would just basically they'd be able to do the bare minimum. And like I said, I am giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say, Oh, it's more deadlines than anything else. That's the reason why it's not optimized. And hopefully they'll actually take the time to fix the games, games like this and, you know, various other things, but there's no reason, no reason why this should be happening. It's just, it's an unfortunate reality and that is just the current way things are going. And of course, with Alan Wake 2, the fact that it's Epic Games Store exclusive and it's developed by Epic Games, which means it may never actually come over to Steam unless 
Epic gets desperate and later down the line decides to move the games over, which they could. I mean, they could go the way of both EA and Ubisoft, where they eventually moved their games back over to Steam. Um, but I'm not holding my breath on the matter, and I'm kind of mixed on whether or not I want to play this. And not just because it's an Epic Games. Um, I liked the first Alan Wake. It was definitely creepy, and there were times I was like, nope, 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 I'm going away from this. And this one looks like it's a lot more creepy than the first game. Like, it's... <laughs> legit horror, which makes me not sure whether or not it's something that I want to play. But at the same time, I'd like to have the option hmm. because I did enjoy the first game and uh, Remedies kind of had like this uh, connected universe going on with their games. I'm not sure how many of them are connected, but I know at least Alan Wake and Control are connected. Um, and there was some, some really cool stuff in control that I came across. I was like, this is awesome. Um, that this really made me happy having actually played through Alan Wake. Um, but anyway, that all being said, I just, uh, <sighs> yeah, I think that's about all I need to say. On that matter. Yeah. But, kind of moving along with a different topic, I'm actually going to do the uh, topics in a slightly different order. So, we're going to talk about some more about the PS5 Slim and some new information that just came out. But first, I do need to issue a correction on what I previously said about the PS5 Slim regarding the stand. So, the vertical stand, as we stated, is in fact a separate purchase required i mean that if you want to stand up your ps5 vertically you have to purchase this stand uh, specifically for the ps5 slim um where i was wrong is i thought that you had that the stand also worked for the horizontal um for, for having the ps5 horizontally but actually the ps the ps5 slim will has like a little tiny kickstand thing um it looks more tiny than the one on the Switch, but since it's not in, it's not as oddly balanced as as the Switch was with the original kickstand. I'll give them a pass on that. I still think that it's way overpriced for what they're giving you. I think it's bad. Anyway, I'm not going to go back into all that, but I did want to issue that correction. But we did get some some news re regarding the PS5s. A new form of DRM, and that is specifically if you decide to purchase the uh, PS5 Slim digital version with the optional disk drive, the optional disk drive requires an internet connection in order to connect it to the system. So let me just read the article here from Video Games Chronicle. Um, as spotted on the back of the box for the upcoming Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 PS5 Slim bundle, small print confirms that players who purchase the new model with the optional disk drive will be required to connect to the internet when pairing it to a machine for the first time. It's likely that this is a security measure in order to ensure that the disk drive is a legitimate one and not a third party. However, it has raised some preservation concerns. Because the accessory will require an internet connection for verification, there will potentially come a time when the servers needed to verify the license will no longer be operational. 
it's possible by the time this happens, Sony will release an update that removes the requirement, and in any case, it's likely to be many years in the future, long after the PS5 is Sony's main console. Um, but nevertheless, it's still... And, and I'm, I'm not reading the article anymore. It's definitely an issue. Um, your thoughts? Yeah. The, the major thing definitely would be preservation. Like, if you're someone who goes into... Like, say you go into a Goodwill store, I don't know, 15, 20 years in the future, yep. uh, and you see, a, say, hey, I want to do some... Ret oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining saying, a <laughs> calling the PS5 a retro game console. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, uh, but... Say you want to go and buy this retro console called the PS5, and you see it. Well, it is outdated hardware, so yeah. <laughs> right, go on. And you see it, and you see the digital version. You're like, oh, hey, that's cool. And then you go and say, you say, oh, well, they just have this version. I'll go on like eBay and find uh, a disk drive. You buy it, and then you have to connect. And then there's no. It says. Oh, we're sorry. We cannot connect to the server to update. And I think that's also another thing that, I mean, it's a completely different top cause together. I'm not going to dive too deeply into it. But it's the problem with everything needing updates mm -hmm. is the fact that it really makes a lot of electronics inoperable if you don't have them. And that's a very major problem. But yeah. without going further there, just with this, it. It is a problem, like, and I do understand that Sony does want to. Assuming, of course, that that point was also mentioned by the writer of the article, not this isn't that wasn't an actual direct statement by Sony, but assuming that this is to you know make sure that's an authentic uh, device, I understand you want to protect that, protect um, your IP and brand and whatnot, but I still think that that's going to really just mostly harm us. And the fact that even it was also mentioned that it could also deter third-party repair shops, mm -hmm. which, you know, I I think that if you're capable of repairing something, you shouldn't need to... You should, you should be able to do it yourself. You shouldn't have to take it to a licensed vendor. Like, sure, if what you do messes it up, that's on you. But you should still have that option to repair your own devices however you want. If you want to go take apart your ps5 say hey i want to go i want to because you know the fact that sony kind of already does that by saying hey you can open up your ps5 insert a brand new ssd right in there like i feel like that's the right step to take hmm. give consumers more control over their own hardware um and that's something i would like to see but the fact that this is sort of like going a step backwards to the point that saying like okay you can put this in here. You, we, we're giving you an option that you can upgrade from a digital to a physical with this disk drive. But if you want to do that, you're going to have to update it. That's really taking a lot of control. Like there, you really just are forcing people just to go ahead and buy uh, the physical version. Like that's pretty much you're pretty much just giving that incentive because why should I buy the digital version? And as you even mentioned. It's more expensive if you buy it, the digital uh, with the new Blu-ray drive. 
there's that. Um, and then another thing that I also read, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's that same article, but a different one, is the fact that Sony has has already stated that after the current PS5 models are sold out, the slim ones are the only ones that are going to be available. Yep. So you will not have that option to get the original digital or you won't have the option to get the other version. So this is going to be what you're stuck with. So that's another reason why I think that this uh, internet connection requirement is a horrible idea. But that, that's that's all just I think, though. Yeah. So uh, some, something else that's pointed out later in the article, um, Wired did a test in 2020 um, and uh, basically they, they tried removing the disk drives from two launch PS5 consoles and swapping them over, but the consoles would refuse to recognize the other drive despite them being identical hardware. And so my question would be is what happens if one of these drives is faulty after it's been paired? Will it not recognize it? Um, I mean, I, I guess, or, I'm sorry, when I, let me rephrase that. If, if the drive is, they get a, someone gets a drive for the PS5, it goes faulty. Will they have issues with putting in a new drive? Um, I think actually I probably already answered my own question now that I think about it. And probably it would just pair the new drive. But if you tried taking one from a, from a different one that had already been paired to it, uh, an existing PS5, then it wouldn't. So either way, it's it's not good. Um, but, you know, I thought about it and I realized that this is basically the equivalent. I mean, not much different from their proprietary memory cards mm. that they use in the PSP and the Vita. Um, the only real difference is that obviously this is not actually storage, but still the fact that basically if you don't have if you don't have that specific product, you cannot use their system. I don't know. I'm. It annoys me that this is happening, and I'm hoping that what Sony will do down the line, whenever they get to the point, you know, when this is a retro console, whatever, they'll remove that requirement. But the problem, of course, comes if someone gets, let's say, something from Goodwill or from a thrift store, whatever. And it doesn't already have that update in there, and the servers are gone. Then what? Because if that update's not already there, that removed that requirement, then they they try to do it, and they're not going to be able to, at all. Now, perhaps there will be some sort of workaround that people will figure out some way to hack the system mm-hmm. and all that. And most likely by that point, I'm sure someone will have figured out some way to get around this. Just like you know how we've there's a way to use micro SD cards in a Vita. I mean... Still, it's just... This DRM stuff is just a nightmare for for future preservation, and I know that lots of people are going to defend it, especially the fanboys, and even the fans, a lot of people who won't think about how it's going to affect things in the future. And yeah, it's down the line. It's probably not going to be an issue for a long time, but I just... This seems like it's it's potentially just a, a a big headache that will happen for people in the future, and I don't know. 
I, I, I don't think I really have anything else to say about that. What about you? Anything else? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I think I uh, got it all out of me. <laughs> Alright, so now we're going to get into our last topic of the evening. And this one's kind of more of a partially humorous topic. So, uh, the, I guess Spider-Man 2, which just came out last week for PS5, um, has some bugs in it. Um one of which, I mean, I mean, you know, sometimes it's it's small things like you know people clipping into environments, and um, there's some screenshots I've seen of like Miles's costume being missing and and just being his head, floating head. Um, but then there's this other one where the suit completely disappears, and this can be for spot for either uh, Peter or Miles, and it's just basically a floating cube of what looks like tofu um, <laughs> swinging around on webs and fighting crime and stuff like that. It looks like the kind of thing that you'd see in a PC mod. Uh, and uh, I, I guess apparently this is something that also was a glitch sometimes on Miles Morales which I never came across that. Um, I, I know that there are were glitches occasionally in those games, but it was never anything that was so noticeable to where... I mean, it was never anything as noticeable as either of those things. Um, but this brings up the question. How big of a deal are these bugs? Um, are they really that significant? Now, I mean, I think that if, like, the tofu block thing was, like, a permanent status going forward, like, if... From, from the point that that glitch occurred... To, through the rest of the game, they no longer were. I mean, they no longer would see the suits, and they'd just be a, a block of tofu. That that would be a big problem. Um, if it's a temporary bug that goes away when you, you know, restart the game, whatever, is it? Um, I guess let, let, let me bring up a couple other things just related to this. So, when Starfield came out, of course, being a Bethesda game, it has bugs. Uh, seems to have fewer bugs than most Bethesda games, which is something to set, something worth noting. But of course, you know, we get into fanboys and PlayStation fanboys in particular will go and point out every single bug that's that exists in these Bethesda games, which, you know, in a game that huge, of course, you have bugs. Um, but now you have the Xbox fanboys doing the opposite when it comes to Spider-Man. And I don't know how widespread the bugs are. I don't know if uh, all these things are coming up constantly for a lot of people, or if it's just a hand, small handful of people, but it's obviously happening. And there's been some suggestion that maybe it actually came with uh, the day one patch, that some of these things, that basically in fixing some things, they broke some other things, which does happen. I've definitely seen that happen in other games. Um, because these bugs were not mentioned in reviews. Um, and yeah, it's also possible that if some of these bugs came up, the reviewers may have either just ignored them or deliberately chose not to mention them. My guess is more ignoring. But if these bugs are not something that are game-breaking, and it's not something where the costumes is appearing for the rest of the game and you're just a tofu cube, what is your opinion on how much these bugs actually matter? And we're not just talking about Spider-Man 2. We're talking about Starfield. We're talking about all these different games that are releasing. 
I, I, I mean, personally, I think it partially depends. Like, it, 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 I think my, majorly if it's not something that's going to be game breaking. Like, for example, with with the same game, but this occurred with two different versions of what I've played. So, with Batman Arkham Origins, um, when I played that on the Wii U, mm-hmm. um, there was a, a section where I would fall directly through the map repeatedly. Mm. Uh, I couldn't land on the ground, and I even sometimes went through the buildings as well before mm. falling into the ground. Yeah, And that completely broke the game. I could not progress. Yeah. Eventually, at some point, it stopped. The glitches stopped, and I was able to play. Um, and so that was fine, but it was annoying. It was because, you know, I couldn't make any progress. Right. But when I played it on PC, there's a very weird glitch where in the opening part of the game for just this one brief uh, part of a cutscene leading into the actual gameplay, there's no audio whatsoever. Hmm. It's weird. I don't know why it's yeah. like that, but it's momentary. It's momentary, so I can ignore that and move on. Yeah. So if... It's something like that with with uh, the new Spider-Man game where it's maybe something that's about 5 to 10 seconds long and maybe happens once or twice over the span of the entire game. I think that's something that can be ignored. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it definitely sucks to have glitches or have some sort of problems within a game. But, I mean, I do understand that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this game, a lot of different things going on, a lot of, you know, processes going on, a lot of calculations by the game that's being done with the background, with NPCs, with the environment. So I do understand that there's a lot to that. So I do understand that it's not, it's, you're not going to be able to cut out glitches 100%. So if it's something that's very minimal, like this, I think it's something that can be ignored, especially if it doesn't impact the game. And even going back, like, there was a game I played on the game called Bionicle Heroes. I don't know if this impacted the PS2 or Xbox version, but in the GameCube version, there's an area where you can sort of like, you can observe all the enemies you fought in the game. For some strange reason, sometimes the enemies will just be in a T-pose position. And <laughs> I don't know why, but they're just like that. They just walk around completely T-pose, in a T-pose position. It doesn't break the game. It... It was very odd when I first saw it because I was a kid. I'm like, "What's going on? This is very weird." <laughs> but um, it it didn't do anything uh, to impact the game. Like it's, it's, it definitely wasn't a combat scenario, so that was fine. So it's something that can be ignored. I think that if it is something like that in the Spider-Man games or any other games, that's fine. You can ignore it. But if it's something that is like in Arkham Origins, where you crash through the world and you can't make any progress in the game that's something that definitely should be called out sure if your game also is going to do something like ubisoft games where textures just constantly disappear off of characters like you just have floating eyes and a floating mouth and that's it oh did i lose you oh of course my internet died all right Um. 
My internet keeps like going out for a second and then coming back on. And um yeah, I think I think we can just uh try moving on. Yeah. Or, well, anyway. So I'll go ahead and express my thoughts now because at least that'll get recorded. So even if I lose you, I'll be able to get that on and then hopefully we'll just be able to finish this thing out. But um, basically kind of uh, to the only thing I really want to add to what I've already said is. I think that there is too much of a focus on trying to find bugs in the opposing consoles games. Um I think that both sides need to get a life, need to get another hobby, need to find Jesus. Whatever it is that they need to do, they need to stop obsessing over this. Now, that all being said, I also think that the biggest reason why this stands out, these bugs and glitches stand out so much with this Spider-Man 2 game, is number one, because it's really Sony's only first-party game they've released this year. Um... And two, because of the fact that usually Insomniac games are really polished. And um, then, of course, the fact that these things didn't even come out in reviews. So I do think that it's it seems very possible that all these glitches and everything came up as a result of the day one patch. That is very possible. I've seen enough examples of games, especially like Destiny 2, which is a game that you know has had updates lots and lots throughout the years, and sometimes those updates have broken certain things about the game, have messed things up. That that could very well be the reason why these bugs popped up, and I'm sure Insomniac is going to get them fixed. Um, I, I think as a developer, I, I have enough faith in them having seen the quality of their games in general. But even still, I think that, like, I think PlayStation fanboys need to be honest when they come across these glitches and say, hey, these things are coming up. I've, you know, I've talked to a bunch of guys who are currently playing the game, and um, some of them are, are more on the fanboy side, but most of them are just fans of PlayStation, and some of them have had glitches like this. I don't know if anyone's had the Tofu Cube glitch, but definitely like disappearing stuff and occasionally other issues. Um, glitches can be a problem, though. Like, uh, as an example, I got... Uh, Batman Arkham Origins Blackgate on 3DS. And I got to a certain point, I think it was after the fight against Penguin, probably, where I reached a game-breaking glitch where I literally couldn't proceed. Like, I mean, not the, game, the game wouldn't freeze up. I was just I was stuck in an area. There was no way to get out. And I, at the time, I was still using Twitter because this was many years ago. And I... I you know, tweeted the developer and said, hey, um, do, were you guys able to to uh, release a patch for this? Because apparently it was a problem that, that they didn't know existed, but they didn't, I mean, it was a while after. And it's like, no, well, for one, it was a while after the game had come out, like, you know, at least a couple years, if not three or four years. Uh, but two, they also, they basically had funding pulled before they could actually fix the mm. game. So the developer was really cool, though. Um, shout out to this developer. I'm trying to remember what's the grab the case just one second. Armature? I think it's... Is it Armature? Uh, yes, that Armature. Did this? That's right, yes. Armature. 
So what they did is they played the game to get back to the point where I left off. They found out, you know, everything that I had done in the game, and they sent me a, a free copy with past that point, and I was able to finish the game. You know, play the rest of the game, and I finished it. So, you know, shout out to Armature Studios for, for being cool enough to do that, you know, when there was a, a game-breaking glitch <laughs> with their, their game, because I didn't want to start over from scratch. That would have been frustrating. But yeah, that was super helpful. I mean, I think that basically, like I told them, you don't need to worry about getting necessarily all the collectibles and stuff that I had before because it's it's going to be kind of a pain to get all those. And I, I'm, I'm happy to do those again. I just didn't want to have to redo all of the progression aspects of it. So, you know, redo getting all the gadgets and whatnot. But, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think that this whole thing is, it's probably, it's more overblown than it should be. And it really just comes down to that there are xbox fanboys and you know don't think xbox fanboys that you get away with it when you are being fanboys you know yeah i i rag on the playstation people quite a bit because they're sometimes the worst but you xbox fanboys can be just as bad sometimes and right now i think this is a great example of you being just as bad but also admit it's like you know starfield has plenty of bugs too i mean it does just like basically every bethesda game <laughs> it's it's I think it's less buggy than some of the Bethesda games, but I've I've had glitches like you know people um, who I needed to talk to that were below the floor or um, you know like uh, textures of uh, a person's head disappearing who was wearing gear that makes them invisible, but it was just their head that had disappeared. Um, things like that. It's up. Yeah. Anyway. Let's let's just let's end it here. <laughs> All right. So, any final thoughts before we move on into our recommendations and dissuasions? Nope. I think I'm ready to uh, jump right into it. All right. Well, go ahead and give yours. All right. So, my recommendation is to wait. No, wait. That's my. Oh gosh. I'm sorry. I I, I just thought about. It. I was like I. I almost switched both my recommendation and my dissuasion around. So let, let me correct that right now. Okay. And so my recommendation actually is to, is for people who have a Steam Deck, download and use Proton QT. That hmm. is what is going to allow you to oh, actually play games. Hmm? Is, is Proton QT, is that just the updater? Or? It's the updater it's like third party one that lets you use the community uh proton versions okay and that is what will allow you to use versions of proton to play games that aren't supported uh that aren't listed as supported uh okay or verified games so like for example batman arkham city is the only game that is at least playable the other ones are not supported at all but using the native uh, or the uh, standard uh, Proton versions that you can use on the Steam Deck. But using Proton QT, you can play Arkham Asylum, you can play Arkham Origins, you can play Arkham Knights on the mm -hmm. Steam Deck. And in fact, that's something that I meant to do because I heard to that this was a method that people used to play those games and other games uh, on the Steam Deck. 
-hmm. So basically, after I did that, I was able to play Arkham Asylum and continue on from where I left off at uh, on PC, just because I was still trying to get collectibles and stuff. And it worked. Um, and that will actually pretty much apply to other games as well. I think the best way to know what games it'll work for is pretty much to use ProtonDB. And if there's a game that works well on Linux desktop and it has, like, using that uh, ProtonQt, it should work on the Steam Deck as well. So if a game is working on desktop Linux uh, with ProtonQt or some other fix, then that should still say apply as well because it's using the same version. Uh, or I mean, the versions of the links will be different, but in theory, it should still work and translate over per, uh, for what you'll get. So use ProtonDB to see if it, which versions you'll need and download ProtonQt uh, to just like get those versions and get the community versions to work for those games. Gotcha. I, I do want to note real quick, um, Arkham Asylum actually works fine with uh, Proton Experimental. And Okay, uh, okay. Um, Arkham Knight, I can't remember which one I used for that, but I def I didn't have... I, I didn't have Proton QT. I, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I got Arkham Knight working. I, I didn't really have any issues with running any of them. I didn't try Origins. Um, I can't remember if I tried Origins Blackgate. But yeah. I think Blackgate, that one actually is verified. That's um, right. You're right. It is. Yeah. It is. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. Asylum Asylum works fine without it. I, ha I haven't tried to see if there's a way to skip past the uh, launcher thing. But once I, once I got past the launcher, it started no problem 60 frames per second high settings all that great all right uh for my recommendation this week i am going to kind of hard to choose between the two that i want to recommend so i think that i'm gonna say i'm, I'm gonna give technically two recommendations but one is if you like 2d games and one is if you don't so, <laughs> if you like 2D games, play Unsold. You can get it on Switch. You can get it on PC. Um, it's probably on the other platforms, I would guess. But it is a fantastic game. Uh, well worth your time. And it's not a long game, which is one of the great things. And if you don't like playing a difficult game with that, you can very easily just put it down to the easiest difficulty, which I mean, there's only three difficulties levels. And it's, it's not that difficult pretty easy to get through and it's fun but um if you don't like 2d games i'm gonna recommend ghost runner 2 i'd recommend that one in general because it's fantastic and bear stuff bar oh he's Never mind. sorry my, my dog's sneezing i thought i thought he was barking because i'm gonna go like Boof. Boof. but anyway um yeah ghost runner 2 fantastic i i loved the first game and the second one from the few hours i played so far has been fantastic as well so, uh, highly, highly recommend it. And your dissuasion. My dissuasion is to, and this is going to be kind of vague, I guess. Uh, maybe I'll be a bit more specific, but is to not let your rests be your new norm. And by that, I mean... If you're doing something and, you know, whether something that you're doing as a goal you're working toward or 
just something that you do that you enjoy and say for example you need to take some time off or you know something happens in life and you need to take a break from it don't let that break become the new norm that you start making excuses as to why you don't get back into doing what it was you were doing before gotcha. um that's definitely something that has happened with me uh primarily just like doing something like exercise for example mm-hmm. say I have a long day at work and I feel tired when I get back home, which I normally exercise in the evenings. Um, because of that, you know, some, I might take the day off, but if I sort of like do that for a couple of days, then I might say, okay, I'll do it the next day. And I just don't get back into it. So that's something that, you know, I sort of try to work hard to like not getting into that. Okay. I'll push it off until the next day. And I just don't get back into that. So something like that, like I said, Life happens. Something might happen where you need to take a break from whatever it is you're doing. But try to get back into it. Don't let what you're doing just die off. That's good advice. Um, so my dissuasion is going to be um, if you are in a position where you aren't necessarily able to uh, provide money to someone or um, you know, give it, or you're you're not necessarily wanting to be there for like the whole thing. Like when someone's doing a 24-hour live stream, for instance, don't just not show up at all. Um, like I get it if you can't if you can't donate. Um, like especially particularly obviously I'm referring to my upcoming 24-hour live stream if you can't donate don't feel like you have to don't feel like you can't stop by because you can't stick around for very long and even if you don't necessarily enjoy watching the game you can still stop by and just say hi Um, especially if you're someone who's up in the middle of the night you know because you stay up really late um or you are a very early riser, you know, stop by. Just say hi. It's, it's really helpful, not just to me, but to anyone who's doing these 24-hour live streams. And we're getting to the point when uh, there's going to be people doing these stack-up streams. Extra Life Day is next weekend. Um, I believe it's November 3rd or 4th is, is Extra Life Day. There's going to be a lot of people doing these 24-hour streams. Help them out. It it really does show support, even if you can't donate anything. Just stopping by and saying hi, and you know, talking to them a little bit. You know, some sometimes the view counts are not going to be the easiest to tell, especially um, if you're watching you know through the Extra Life or Stack Up site rather than directly on YouTube. But if you are there, say something, please, because not all of us have a bunch of people watching. I certainly don't, um, and it's very helpful to me when I when I have anyone just commenting, saying hi, seeing how I'm doing, whatever, even if you can't donate. But, it, of course, if you can donate, please do. So, that was kind of a combination recommendation and dissuasion, so I sort of <laughs> cheated. <laughs> Alright, um, so, where can people find you? You can find me on my YouTube channel. I am Zerakon. That is I A M X E R A C O N. And if you want to do that weird thing that YouTube does, it's 
The handle is at IamZaracon. All right, and you can find me. My YouTube channel is The Frozen Gamer 87. So youtube.com slash at The Frozen Gamer 87. Um, I don't put out a ton of content, but I am going to be doing a 24 hour live stream raising money for the Stack Up charity, which provides games uh, basically as a means to help veterans get the, the help they need, uh, particularly those who are suffering from PTSD. And they, they do uh, a variety of different things related to video games, uh, helping to build community and helping to connect veterans with other veterans and just with people who can help them in getting through these difficult times, especially readjusting to civilian life. Um, it's a great charity. Please, if you can, stop by. If you can donate, that's even more appreciated. My goal this year is to hopefully actually get up to $300 for my funds raised. That's not that high of a goal. Even if you can only give a couple dollars, five dollars, whatever, every little bit helps. And um, I've donated to it. Justin has donated to it. And uh, anybody else who's willing to, that'd be great. And like I said, even if you can't stop by, I mean, even if you can't donate, please stop by, say hi anytime you have available. I'll be starting at 9 a.m. Central Time, Friday morning, October 27th. So uh, by the time this podcast comes out, I will probably be live, well, more or less anyway. It'll probably be a couple hours after I go, or a couple hours before I go live that the podcast will be live. It'll be uh, on YouTube as well as Google Podcasts. Now it is up there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, um, iHeartRadio, a bunch of different podcast services. So you can find it just about anywhere. And please, please stop by. Uh, help out with with that live stream and help me get to my goal and remember that all these funds go directly to stack up i don't see a dime of this i'm not doing this for my own money i'm doing it just to raise money for a great charity so with all that being said i am once again the frozen gamer 87 that is i am zericon and may you never get the black long orange bot's podcast out.